So here we go, January the 13th, 2019, oh my goodness, lecture discussion number 49 on the book of Joel. And well, we have returned. How long has it been? We count differently now in Alaska and Anchorage. It's been 6,800 aftershocks, apparently. It's been amazing. We've discussed it at length. Um, the epicenter of these aftershocks are pretty much underneath Anchorage. So we feel every one of them in a way that has been unprecedented. And those of us in the Anchorage borough, as I said, are reckoning time by aftershocks, or what most of the world defines as earthquakes. We're at the point now that anything less than a, a 6.0 is an aftershock. We had a 5.1 this morning at, uh, what was it, 7.45. Uh, right dead, I think it was seven, seven miles deep, and or something like that, seven miles outside of the center of Anchorage. Uh, that uh, is not comforting. But for the vast Internet audience, it's January 13, 2019. January, as you know, in Alaska is very important. It's an important month for us. It means that uh, there is only six more months until the days start getting shorter. How about that, huh? That's something to look forward to. That's true. I'm, not, I'm feeding it to you straight here. And we live here because everyone loves the cold, dark winters. All of you do. I'm so impressed. What was it? Last week, I think it was 15 below at night was the worst night we had, wasn't it? Eagle River, you folks in Eagle River, how cold was it out there? Oh, really? That's not possible. You're always colder than Muldoon. Yeah, I guess it was 15 below in the east side. Fairbanks, I think, uh, fell into 45 below at night. I have experiences of going into Fairbanks on a locomotives that are seizing up from the, f- the fuel would coagulate. Diesel fuel doesn't like 65, 70 below, but it was only 45 below. They're very happy in Fairbanks. They're, they're happy that it's not as cold as it is normally. Actually, that's the case. They're saying they're having really good winters. It's 45 below. Uh, Fairbanks, tough place to live. It's 60 below in the winter and 100 degrees positive or 100 degrees uh, Fahrenheit in the summer. So that's the bitterness of the Arctic in concert with the bitter misery or utter misery of Arizona. Hi, Jennifer. Why do people choose to inhabit the uninhabitable? Great mystery. Well, let's see. What else is happening? What have we learned while we've been gone from the American media conglomerate? Here's something that is very valuable to you. You may not recognize why until I'm halfway through with it. Are you aware that the North Magnetic Pole is moving? How many of you have followed this information? Anybody at all? Just two of you, three maybe, because you sit next to somebody that talks to you about it. That's a shame. But the North Magnetic Pole is moving dramatically, more so than normal. And apparently this is occurring relatively rapidly, placing the world magnetic model into obsolescence. We have a magnetic model that is incredibly important to those of you who have phones. In other words, not knowing the location of the magnetic north is going to introduce all kinds of uh, navigational error. As amongst other issues, the, the earth is not stable. There's a news flash. We learned that this morning at 745. We're on the cutting edge of this kind of knowledge. And some, however, in the geomagnetic uh, field, scientific field, speculate that the earth could experience a geomagnetic reversal. 
that would mean this would be a catastrophic, uh, it would be, uh, I don't know, incalculably bad, but uh, highly unlikely. But there's a possibility and there's evidence that perhaps in the distant past that the earth did experience one of these reversals where the North Pole and the South Pole inverted. Uh, and I should make it clear right here that magnetic poles and geographic poles are, are distinct. They're not the same. They're different entities. The magnetic poles are not exactly necessarily located at the geographic poles. So don't uh, make that uh, slight error. And feel free to use your phones while you can to check that out. Because uh, it could all change if this uh, were to happen. If there is a geomagnetic reversal, even an incomplete reversal, which means that the poles, the magnetic south and magnetic north, begin to converge. And if they cross the equator uh, and then return, for example, right now the north magnetic pole is moving away from Canada towards Russia, towards Siberia. So imagine that it is moving laterally. But if, if, if they were to invert or if they were to have an incomplete reversal, begin to drift towards each other, the magnetic field of the earth would weaken dramatically. It might fall to half or less of its capability. Some estimate as little as 10, 15 percent. Yes. Oh, is that right? Yes, I just got word. From somebody who cares about this, the one person. <laughs> no one on the Internet will care either, so don't feel bad if you're out there. That the government shutdown that we're currently under has affected the, uh, the uh, recalibration of the North Magnetic. Um, and uh, so uh, that we do not have, uh, we do not have perf people actually working on this. And that would surprise me. I think they would consider this to be pretty serious. Uh, we'll see if, uh, how they do. <sighs> if there is an incomplete reversal and the magnetic field of the earth weakens, we have issues now because the magnetic field is a shielding mechanism. It blocks radiation. What is the primary source of radiation for us, those of you who have hoped to go to Arizona with no one there? Um, you will know that if the sun produces radiation and it cooks you, you think it makes you more attractive, but it's not. It is cooking you like uh, a piece of meat. Think microwave oven. So we have the radiation source that is incredibly powerful. Ask Arizona. And to cut to the chase, your phones would become dog toys if this happens. Now, why do I bring this up? I bring it up because I've often long believed that something will, some event will mask the capture or the catching up or the kidnapping, if you will, of the bride of Christ. So if your phones are paperweights and satellites will turn to goo. Aviation, electrical infrastructure will be disabled. We'll have teenage girls without phones rioting in the streets. It'll be horrifying. It'll be absolutely worse than any zombie apocalypse. Google, here's the good news. Google, Facebook, and Amazon, poof. Worthless. No more internet movies. 
all gone. You have to read books again, or for the first time, depending on how old you are. But a little bit more serious uh, approach here. A geomagnetic reversal is going to be catastrophic for the world's uh, digital economic systems. The records will be gone. The world as we witness it would immediately change. It would take years to come out of something like this. If we had a Carrington effect, the 1859 Carrington effect, which was a solar expulsion, a, a magnetic pulse, if you will, that destroyed the infancy of the telegraph system and barbed wire in the United States, hit dead center of the United States, as you know, because I've discussed that before. But if this happened, we'd have a a weakening of the radiation shield. Uh, We would have catastrophic damage to the navigational systems, planes, boats. Now we're using trucking. I I always like the idea that these people have. We're going to have automated driverless cars. What a great plan that would be during a geomagnetic uh, incomplete a reversal. Uh, that would be, we'd have missiles everywhere just flying around. That, and there's no way you could stop it. And as I said, the, the change would be extraordinary, even if it wasn't a temporary nature. Again, the world is not, the earth is not stable. There's a molten iron, this is because of the iron nature of the molten River that is iron, essentially, that creates this magnetic field. As it moves, uh, the poles that are are uh, that emerge from it also move. The earth groans; the whole creation groans. Roman eight twenty two. So, this uh, think about that tonight when you're laying there worrying about earthquakes, and recognize the proportionality between a magnetic reversal and an earthquake. How does Alaska get its food? Ships, planes, trucks. That would all stop. So load up on what? Ramen? Tuna fish? What else we got? The state of California in concert. How about this? It actually fits together. Has decided to eliminate paper receipts. Has anyone saw that? Now, they're doing it because of uh, what they believe is anthropogenic issues. In other words, the the mankind is causing uh, uh, climatic changes. There is not, it's not natural climatic variability. They think that human beings are doing this and human beings have to be controlled. So they're eliminating paper receipts. That's effectively ending paper currency if you put, put, start following the, the anatomy of all of this. New Jersey, if you saw this, this is another interesting thing I think that uh, combines with all of this. They're passing legislation prohibiting businesses from refusing currencies. American currency, paper, cash. Because businesses have bought into the uh, anthropogenic issues of climate and they are decided that they do not want paper currency because paper currency causes more pollution but also takes more time away from their employees. They want everything to be digital. You buy everything with your phone. That's the plan. Well, if that happens... 
And make no mistake, tangible currency, physical currency, will be eliminated. I have the book. It's going to be eliminated. And as soon as it is, that's going to make the multinational uh, finance syndicates far more powerful because they control you now. All they do is push a button, your digital profile, gone. They can delete you. Delete every asset that you have. It's all digital. There's no tangibility to it. There's no physical. Isn't it fascinating? They're taking it out of the physical reality and putting it into a non-reality. I find that ironic. Fantastically ironic. But not only will the banking industry become incredibly powerful and controlling and manipulative, so will the government's. And whatever brings the most control of people eventually is instituted by governments. That which restricts the freedom of the general population, that lures the powerful. They say all the time, do not judge a person's character by adversity. Judge their character by giving them power. Then you will find out what they are, who they are. This is an issue of freedom and slavery. Governments tend towards enslavement. They like it. We're watching in this country a control-based movement that is heretofore never imagined. Keep watching also the communist Chinese. You want to see the experts at controlling people. Watch the communists. We're all amateurs over here. They're going to, they're racing towards tightened and the constraint they're going to put on their nation if they're allowed to continue is incredible. Uh, and they got the willing assistance of the American technological companies. American companies are facilitating this enslavement of the communist Chinese populace. The communists always strangle Literally and figuratively, they strangle the free will of their citizens. They also literally strangle their citizens. And that's not surprising. That's not new. It's gone on for a hundred some odd years. American businesses abetting the communist Chinese. Now, that's a new development. That would have been impossible when I was a young man. It would have been an act of evil, treason, you name it. Those companies would have been bulldozed by the U.S. government for doing that. These are the largest companies in the world now. They are, they are stand, uh, pouring technology into the communist nations, especially China, knowing that the, that the communists will eventually murder its people at will because that's what communism does. It's an atheistic system. It has no... Morality. And who is under the greatest threat right now in China? The Chinese Christians. And, and, and that, of course, is foretold. Revelation 24, Revelation 6, 9. It's in the book. Lastly, for today, just another example of, of what has happened just in a couple of weeks. Things are moving fast. Biometrics are being utilized for international travel. What do I mean by that? No passport. You will be biometrically identified. Uh, you will have a biometric mark. 
Remember me saying to you, I don't know how many years ago, I'm just really lucky because I read the book, that the mark of the beast will be biometric. And it will be, it will have uh, a life-sustaining element to it. It'll be a device that affects infirmity, maladies, diseases, aging. All of those things will be part of that mark of the beast. Well, we we now have that uh, uh, replacing passports. Did you see blood transfusions from the old? I'm sorry, blood transfusions from the young. They're taking the blood of teenagers and they're infusing it into the old wealthy people now. It's a new concept because they never read Genesis 19. So, uh, very popular now. Plasma infusions from the young to the old wealthy. Or, 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 the wealthy oligarchs are going to go first everywhere. When you, when you look around and see old politicians, of which we have a plethora, much older than me. That's how I determine if you're old now. Is, uh, how far ahead of me are you? But those will be the powerful and the rich will get any anti-aging system first. And that is, of course, predicted in the Bible. And the question, who could have predicted that, is asked by no Bible student ever. Again, Genesis 19. So there you go. That catches you up. Things we learned from the uh, American media this week, um, or last week as well. So where are we now? We have no idea. Because I knew today would be kind of transitionary. I, I had some shopkeeping to attend to, so I thought I would take care of that. <coughs> uh, we've had some babies born since we were last here. Jenna had a young girl named Stephanie. I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty confident that's uh, uh, how it went. And Stephanie is now, uh, what, 13 days old? You should know this. Bang, 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 guys. And and Stephanie weighs how much? Uh, yeah. Let let the record show how much trouble Daniel is in. And how much does Stephanie weigh? <laughs> Who can know? <laughs> oh, it's a grown. Yeah, but it's a baby. Makes noise. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. This is, of course, on the internet. You know. And, must be, as you'll find out. Mm-hmm. Mm. Someone will be waiting when you get home. Huh. <laughs> I would ask the baby's name, but I'm worried for you now. I don't want to take that on. <laughs> okay. Uh, I do take requests for those of you who are wondering. I actually do. I, and I should get a jar and I should select one randomly every week. I could do that. The problem becomes when the subjects or questions are seemingly unrelated to the current topics. And I say seemingly because everything in Scripture is connected. That's how you begin when you read Scripture. You have to know it's all connected. Never pull out any piece and just look at that piece without knowing it's going everywhere. Think octopus tentacles. Think an octopus with trillions of tentacles. That's what Scripture does. Some of the connections are direct and apparent correlations that you can see. Others, the degree of separation, the materiality is not as obvious, but it's always there. All Scripture will lead to all Scripture. That is a fact of Scripture, a truth of Scripture. 
it is the way he designed it. It is the design of the author. It is evidence that it is scripture. It speaks of Christ and it interconnects. That's how you find it. That's how they determined what belongs in the Bible and what does not. All of these, all these mostly men, but um, mostly uh, Jews and mostly uh, Christians. But there's Nebuchadnezzar in there. Uh, All of these people put together these works, these letters, these chapters, if you will, these passages, and every one of them feathered together in a way that is impossible to imagine and duplicate. Anyway, today's request came from uh, Pastor Sherman through Supper Dave. Let me see if I can find it here. And, of course, that assumes that implies the existence of uh, Supper Dave, which is still in doubt. Also from Sherry, before I gave, uh, completed last week, Sherry, from we don't know where Sherry is, do we? We have no idea. Uh-uh. She's out there moving. Uh, Sherry wanted to talk about slavery and freedom as God defines both of them. She didn't necessarily mention freedom, but freedom is the inverse of slavery or the reciprocal. And that, of course, begins at Exodus 21. I mentioned that two weeks ago. So that hopefully gets in here today. I'm looking at it realistically, knowing that it probably is not. So, Sherry, you'll have to deal with me in one more week here. So I'm going to read a little piece of of, uh, Pastor Sherman. And I hope you're doing well, sir. Okay, I said I wasn't going to bug you on this, he writes to uh, Supper Day. But I'm about to lose my mind. Why would that be? I'll, I'll finish this. I have listened to Numbers 236 to 238 on the study of Romans 15 or 20 times each. Let the record show everyone is miserable for you, uh, Pastor Sherman. This is, of course, the study story of Ananias and Sapphira. I've always said there's a lot more there than God killing them for not giving enough money. And he's absolutely right about that. I love this study, but I can't figure out what would be the trap. What would be the criminal charges against Peter? What's the trap? Please help me. I can't sleep, and now I've lost my appetite for food. This happens to everyone that uh, listens to uh, lectures 236 through 238, uh, so don't feel bad. He said, my wife looks at me funny. I think every man here's wife looks at them funny. So this is a ubiquitous condition. Please and thank you. And so, I, uh, and again, the whole class is expressing great sympathy for Pastor Sherman's wife here. So anyway, Acts 5 is the death of Ananias and Sapphira. And it is incredibly mysterious. And it is a tithing sermon in a sense, it's usually titled by everyone who does it, who studies, it, who presents it to their congregations, is um, as "Give me money, or God will kill you." Uh, that's the typical uh, way it is approached, and, and the "me" in that sentence is, of course, them. Acts 5 is, in fact, a tithing sermon, but it's not a tithing sermon. Let's try to say that another way. It's a tithing context, but that's not how it is commonly taught. Those who are teaching it as a tithing sermon are incorrect and therefore missing the entire aspect that is so powerful. Acts 5, again, is deeply mysterious. 
And as you should always expect, it connects all throughout the Bible. It goes back to Genesis. Anyone surprised by that? Never are you surprised to that. And it goes all forward to Revelation. So expect Acts 5 to send the student of Scripture to Genesis 3. It will. I'll start putting this up here. Uh, we're not going to be able to read it because there's just too much there. Um, and you'll see that in a minute. I hope you're familiar with it. How many of you were here when I did Ananias and Sapphira? Okay, there's five or six maybe. Um, I Hopefully you're familiar. If not, go ahead and pull it out. And at least read this part that we're going to deal with as much as we can today. For Because of why? Why am I doing it? Because I am worried about Pastor Sherman's wife. That's exactly right. Bless her heart. How can she deal with this? Can you imagine listening to those lectures 20 times? I'm sure she is as miserable as anyone could be. But... Uh, this is going to send us to Genesis 3. It's actually, it's going to start us in Genesis 1. I need my box over here, don't I? TJ was kind enough to clean the board. It looks fantastic. Unfortunately, I can see myself in it, which is a disadvantage for me. I try to avoid those mirrors and dark glass and still pools of water. Ah. <sighs> Genesis 14, if I had to pick where you're going to go here, I would pick Genesis 14. Trying to study Acts 5 without Genesis 14 is a um, futile methodology. Did I answer all the questions in three lectures on Ananias and Sapphira? Did I even introduce them? I did not. And, and it's very frustrating to people when I do this. But there's just no way I can. It's just, it's impossible. I hope that that becomes apparent. Was I ever intending to get back to it and clean it all up? Oh, absolutely. Did I ever do that? No, no. So this is this is Pastor Sherman's wife making me fulfill my obligation. So here we go. Uh, where was I? So and I'm also going to be in Joel. I'm, it's a sun and moon issue here which is why it fits so well for us. That may not be apparent. If it's sun and moon, then, of course, I've got Jonah. And if I've got Jonah, I've got Lazarus, right? And I've got grave clothes of Christ, or face cloth, if you will. All of that is here in Acts 5. And again, no time to do all of that. We'll just put where it starts today. Whenever you're going to read Acts 5 or study Acts 5, you've got to know it doesn't begin at Acts 5. That's the most prevalent piece of information I can give you. It, Acts 5, if you wish to think of it this way, and it's not true, it actually starts at Genesis 14. But um, for, for you that are just studying Acts, which is a mistake, because you have to know that it connects everywhere, when you start, but let's assume that you're going to just stay with Acts. You're really going to start Acts 5 discussions or Acts 5 in Acts 1, 3 and also Acts. Uh, and again, I'm doing this for the Internet. 1, 12 through 14. Acts 1, 3 and Acts 1, 12 through 14 are the uh, many infallible proofs and the meeting in the upper room. I'm assuming that you have some understanding of Acts. There is an infallible proofs of who Christ is 
that is being discussed. And there's a meeting in the upper room where, where we have all of these occurrences that, uh, that are very, very important. And from there, we're going to go to Acts 2. And I hope that you know that Acts 2 is, um, is the, uh, the hearing of the languages, not the speaking of the languages. The miracle is not in speaking tongues, tongues or languages. The miracle is not in speaking a language. The miracle is, is that the one who hears what you are saying in his own language your language is the same as always. The miracle is, is that God transmits that language to him and he is able to hear it in his own language or in his own mind. That, of course, is Exodus 20:18, or the thunderings. At Mount Sinai, we had the thunderings. Thunderings are not what you think. Thunderings is God speaking. He's speaking to Israel. Israel is a, is a multitude there of mostly Jews, but it also has a mixed multitude in it of people that are Gentiles that came in to this massive nation from Egypt that accompanied the forming nation, of, if you will, of Israel. So I have Jews and Gentiles, and they all heard of many different languages, and they all heard God's voice in their own language at Mount Sinai. It's called the thunderings. And we should expect that then to connect to Acts 2 because that's where the apostles, the the Galilean apostles, of course, got up and spoke Galilean and everyone that came from all over the world, all the Jews heard what they said in their own language. And so next, of course, would be Acts 2.16, uh, which is where Joel is actually quoted. So that's how we get back here. I'll speed along. I'll skip to, to uh, Acts 4. There's 5,000. I won't put it on the board. There's 5,000 that uh, are, are raised into that discussion. I have the pairing of Peter and John at Acts 4.13 and 4.19. I have the place of the meeting that occurs just before Acts 5. The, the apostles meet together in Acts 4.31. And finally, but maybe not really, fake finally, I have Acts 4, 32 through 37. I should put that on the board. So there's a lot of work in Acts 4. Almost all of it, if you will, in order to understand what is happening in Acts 5, 1, specifically 32 through 37. Because that is directly in front of Acts 5 where Ananias is dead because of something, and so is Sapphira. And they're not just dead, they are instantly dead, as opposed to what? Not instantly dead. That would make sense. I have instant death. Who killed them in Acts 5? God did it. Now, why? becomes an incredible question. Great mystery. Acts 4, 32 through 37 is a Levite owning land, selling the land, taking the money. But that's a problem because a Levite 
is prohibited by Numbers 18, 20 through 24 and Deuteronomy 10, 9 from owning land. So I have Levite who has land. I have two of them identified. One of them is Ananias. The other is Barnabas. Levites are not permitted to own land. Ask why. Why can't they have land? Shouldn't we all have land? Everybody can have land, but not the Levites. Why did God extract them and say, no land for you? Levites violate, and that's central. That is absolutely key to know why that's the problem. I mean, why this is happening in order to understand the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. Levites violated the order from God. They knew they weren't supposed to own land, but they did own land. How much land do you think they got? Who's the richest people in Anchorage? That's right. If you answer religious people, you're right on target. What does a Levite owning land have to do with leprosy? Because we're in a discussion on leprosy. What is the meaning of leprosy? What does God, what is he teaching us with this disease, leprosy, as it is in the Old Testament, not as it is today? Moses' hand, remember Leviticus, uh, I'm sorry, in Exodus 4, 3, I have Moses's, I have three signs of Moses. The serpent, the hand, and the blood. Those are the three signs that Moses has for the nation of Israel and for the Pharaoh, essentially, at some point. The serpent, the hand, and the blood. That's solved in Leviticus 13 and Leviticus 14, which is the laws concerning uh, leprosy. And all of that is now, uh, once we got control of all of that, and I didn't put most of it on the board, we're now ready to start Acts 5. And and previously in my so-called career, I've done most or, or all of that, or some of most of all of that. I forget which one it is, but I've done all of these things, and so I've hopefully put that before the Acts 5 lectures. I don't think I did, based on, again, Pastor Sherman's wife. Do I know her name? I don't think I do. Unfortunately, he just identifies her as his wife. Huh? Yeah, yes, it's like Lot's wife. That's exactly right. She looks at him funny. Sounds like an extraordinarily wise woman here. It's amazing. Anyway, it's not how we're going to do it today. Obviously, that surprises none of you, I hope. There's no way in the world I can set this back up. I am hoping that you have a fundamental understanding of what would happen with Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, and I'm hoping everyone on the Internet can k- catch up any way they can or they could listen to those other lectures. Um, that would be helpful to them. So what do we do now? We have all this backstory, if you will, all the way back to Genesis 1, 3, and 14. Again, 14 critical. So how do we start this thing? Well, the first thing you have to do, in my view, is you have to gather all the Ananiases. Okay, spelling Ananias is not easy. Uh, I always get it wrong. How'd I do? Hey, hey, there are more than one Ananias in the Bible, do you think that's a coincidence? You have to go get them all. 
and figure out how they fit together. If you do that, you're, uh, you're headed. That's always the best choice, I, I, I believe. Gather as much evidence as you can carry. This Acts 5 goes everywhere. So go get some of it and bring it back. And do that before you draw any conclusions. Never try to figure out Acts 5 with just Acts 5. Just call that the spiral of doom. And then another example would be to collect all the Peters and Satans. Why do I say that? Because if you read Acts 5, oh gosh, I probably should read a little bit of it, I guess. Submit to the inevitable. Just in case you don't know. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Is he a Levite? Well, go gather all the Ananiases. If you find all the Ananiases, you probably decide, I know you will, that he's a Levite. He's not supposed to have land. And he kept back part of the proceeds. He kept back, he kept back of the proceeds, it says. It doesn't say part. It does say part, but part's not in the text. So he kept back of the proceeds. How much do you think he kept back? Well, he, yeah, said, Supper Dave, if he exists, said 90%. Did you think he just kept back a little bit? Try to be Ananias. Go gather all the Ananiases. And when you do that, decide what kind of person I'm dealing with here. His wife also being aware and and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back of the price of the land for yourself? I have Peter and Satan. Where else in the Bible do I have Peter and Satan? Go get all the Peter and Satans. There's lots of Peters and Satans. What's the most famous one? Go ahead. Yell it out. Get behind me. Satan. Christ. God himself says that to Peter. I have Peter and Satan right there. And I got Peter and Satan here. Now, this is a different Peter. Peter was, you can make the case, what's the word I want? Not uh, attuned to the, the truths of Christ. How's that for a euphemism? It took me a while to get there. He was clueless. Now he's amazing. Absolutely astonishing. How'd he get there? He went from, he went from a fisherman to this incredibly wise, extraordinary intellect. So go collect all the Peters and Satans. And all the times and places where God brought instant physical death to a person or persons before him. You have instant death here of Ananias, so go get the rest of them. How many instant deaths are there? When God kills somebody physically, and that's what happened, he pulled their soul out. Down they go. He can divide the soul from the body, he says so. He is a sharp sword. Boom. And this is the Holy Spirit doing this, so I have the triunity of God, of the three persons of the Godhead. This is the Holy Spirit. That's incredible information. He is in a position of what? Mercy or judgment? He's in a position of judgment. Where else in the Bible is the Holy Spirit in the position of judgment? 
for the record, Pastor Sherman, you should see Dave's face right now. You know exactly where that is, don't you? Yes, he does. I'll get to it in a minute. But find all the places where God brought instant physical death to a person or persons who were before him. He is there and they are there. The Holy Spirit judges Ananias and Sapphira instant physical death. Again, as in contrast to a death that has time to it. Where they're given time. There is no time given. Why isn't there time given? When God does this, a great wickedness has manifested, has come. And, uh, and not a surprise, a great wickedness is here. And who's identified here as well? Satan is here. I have Satan and a great wickedness out of Ananias. Um, at, at Acts 5.3, Satan is connected to the lie of Ananias and Sapphira. And I will make the case again today, I hope I did it previously, that their lie is a little bit different. They're not identical. And Satan's lie, of course, is what? Whenever I'm talking about a lie and Satan, I'm back here in Genesis 3. I've got to go back to Genesis 3. How complex is the lie that Satan filled Ananias with? What is the lie? Make sure I turn the correct page there, did I? I did. How evil is the eye? Sometimes I can't see the paper because I have this debris field in the right eye. And that's my excuse for being in my current condition of, what do we call it? Mistake after mistake, I guess, would be the right thing to say. How evil is this lie? You decide. What is the motive of Satan to bring this lie to Peter? Who else has Satan done this with? Go get all of them. You're in a long haul here. Remember, there's a contingent of young men with Ananias here. Let me read this part to you that I don't have time to read. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last instant death. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. That is incredible information right there. There's young men here. There's a contingent of young men with Ananias. Young men invariably is a military reference in Scripture. This is a fighting force. Why is it here? Why at this place at this time when he's bringing uh, some money that he got? Where else has God, the I Am, been before a military force and struck them down? John 18. The I am strikes down a military force in, in, the, in Gethsemane. So lay now Matthew 26, 36 through 46, which is the Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead. That's where Christ says, let this cup pass. I have the Holy Spirit. I have the Father. I have the Christ there. Lay that side by side with John 18, 1 through 27. The, bring the bring the I am Jesus the I am um, 
where the, excuse me, John is 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 showing. Oh gosh, I need to pour Worcestershire sauce in my soda. John gives the account of Jesus, the I Am, brought before the high priest. What is the name of the high priest there? It's it's that Annas. You might think Caiaphas. But Annas is clearly the power here. Caiaphas has a role, but it is not as significant as Annas. And he is the one who binds Christ, Annas is. And Annas is likely referenced in Acts 5.17. So let me read that to you. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. That's Annas that did that. But but at that night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out. Annas is the one that grabbed the apostles. And very important that you know that. That's only, oh my gosh, not even ten verses away from the death of Sapphira. It's critical information. Really fast, I'll read Acts uh, 23 for you. Uh, And 24. Annas is identified in Acts 4, 5, along with many in the family of the high priest, Acts 4, 5 through 7. So I have, let's just say, let's just pound that in. In Acts 4, 5, which is the prelude, if you will, to Acts 5, Annas is identified. And he's also identified with many members of his family, which is 5 through 7 of Acts 4. Now 23, 1 through 3. My hands are... Not working very good. Nothing is working very good anymore. (sighs) Then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, Paul was brought before uh, the Sanhedrin. Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him in the mouth, which means beat, beat him badly. Means to, it doesn't mean just to whack him a little bit. It means to actually Strike him. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? So he is fighting with this evil high priest who is now identified as Ananias. So I have at least two. Sometimes Annas, sometimes Ananias is the high priest. 24.1. 24.1. More evidence for you. Now, after five days, Ananias, the high priest, came down with the elders in a certain order named Tertullus, who gave evidence to the governor against Paul. So he, we see him all through Acts, this high priest, and in John. And so I want you to recognize that you, you've got to find out who this Ananias is that is priest, this Annas and this Ananias who is not that priest. Perhaps the dawning tax, task of Acts 5 is becoming a, a bit more obvious to you. I hope so. Ananias is the name of the most vicious, evil high priest at the time of Christ. A man reviled. He's a murderous, killing viper. He's brutal. He's corrupt. He's hated by the people of Israel. Eventually, they rise up and execute him. That is Ananias, the high priest. He is the power. He is an ally of the Roman Empire. 
But the most obvious question now comes up. Are Ananias and Ananias the same Ananias? No, they're not. I have an Ananias that's Ananias, and I have an Ananias that's the high priest. Does that make sense? What are the odds? Well, let me not say that. Let's ask it this way. Are the Ananias of Acts 5 and the Ananias, the high priest, are they conspiring against Peter and John? Are they related, is what I'm asking you. Because Ananias' family is mentioned, but Ananias isn't mentioned in the family. If that's making sense to you, I'm doing a great job. But I'm asking, what is the connection between everybody here named Ananias? And why this differentiation? Why are the high, high priest called Annas and then called Ananias? And then, how's this all fitting? Gather your Ananiases. Is the Ananias name incidental to the account? You ever ask, why is he called Ananias and his other guy's Ananias? What's the reason for that? Is it just a coincidence? Does the omniscience of the author eliminate coincidence? There's your question. Who wrote this? The Holy Spirit using Luke. How come... This is the way it is, I guess, is what I'm asking you to evaluate. Keep to the forefront that Ananias of Acts 5 is a man infected by Satan. And there's an Ananias that's the chief high priest. He also is as evil as it can be. I'm asking how, how much evil is in the Ananias situation here. And what is the lie? When God intervenes as he does here at Acts 5, what is at stake? Why does he intervene like this? Why this immediate death? A quick list for you. I can't put it on the board because I'm getting told I can't put it on the board. The Holy Spirit at Matthew 26 and Genesis 15 has to be placed together. Because at Genesis 15, the Holy Spirit is the smoking furnace, if you will, the judgment, the rich Pharisee, Ananias, all the Ananiases in the story are rich. Melchizedek is on the list because why? That's where tithing begins. Can Peter accept tithes becomes a question. And also Satan is with Melchizedek. Judas and Satan, Ananias and Satan. I'm going to have to compare Ananias with Judas. Leprosy is in play. Sapphira is a woman. Why does she die? I have the wrapping of the body. I have the young men. I have the feast day of Pentecost. Why can't Levites own land? What is the trap? Okay. That's an incomplete list also. I don't have time to put it on the board. In any event, all tithing refers to the first, returns to, refers to the first tithing. Ananias lays a portion of the proceeds of a sold possession at the feet of Peter. What does that mean? What is the symbolism there? Who's watching it? What do they think when they see that? Question number two. Since Satan is involved, how does this reflect attached to the kiss of Judas at Gethsemane? 
What was the purpose of the kiss of Judas? What is the purpose of laying this offering, this tithe at the feet of Peter? Are they the same? What was the purpose of Judas and Satan's kiss, I'm asking you? Question number three. You should know that already, uh, question two. Melchizedek. It's not a question. I know that. Melchizedek, Genesis 14:20. The first mention of tithe in Scripture, therefore, Acts 5, will, must refer to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is Christ himself. Not a type of Christ. That's Christ. Melchizedek is Jesus Christ. No time to defend that today. I'm aware of the counterpositions. I submit the evidences that are presented at Hebrews 7 are definitive. Melchizedek is said to be outside of time. Hebrews 2 or 7, 2 through 4. The question is asked, how great is this man, king of peace, king of righteousness, to whom even Abraham worshipped? Because Abraham gave Melchizedek a tithe. So now what do we know about tithing? It's worship. At this meeting in Genesis 14, 18 through 24, the king of Jerusalem, the king of Sodom, and Abraham are together. The first king of Sodom is dead, Genesis 14. It'll say some died. Some's not in the text. The first king of uh, the human king of Genesis 14:10 is dead. Now I have this other king of Sodom that just shows up, and he shows up with Christ Himself and Abraham. And what do they fight over? What's the argument about? It's not an argument; it's a discussion, if you will. Christ, Satan, and Abraham are in a meeting, and Satan wants the people, and Abraham refuses, raises his hand, and he says, "This I raise my hand to the Lord God Most High, the Possessor of all things." And a quick note. Melchizedek blesses God. Who can bless God? Can you bless God? Only God himself. Anyway, let us assume that Abraham's tithe to Christ was laid at the feet of Christ. Because he gives a tithe to Melchizedek, who is Christ. And then Abraham rebuked the evil plan of Satan. You see the the compliment here? On the basis that Satan's intention was to say that he, Satan, had made Abraham rich. And Abraham said, I'm not going to let you say you've made me rich. The opposite was true. The reason that Abraham uh, prevailed in the fight with the Antichrist figure in Genesis 14 is because Jesus Christ, the God Most High, possessor of all things, the high priest of God, had given Abraham victory and saved the people from slavery and captivity. Now, transfer those components, those elements, to Acts 5. Ananias has laid a tithe at the feet of Peter. Identifying Peter as what? Is Peter a priest? Is he a Levite? If Peter accepts the tithe, what is the response of that young military, young men military force there? If Peter refuses, what are the consequences to Barnabas in Acts 4.37? Because Barnabas did the same thing. A Levite who sold his land and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. That's Barnabas. Now it's happening again. How do the Levites get land? Leprosy. That's one method. They confiscated from lepers. Who was in charge of determining if you were a leper? The guy confiscating stuff. The determiners of leprosy were the people that confiscated your material, your possessions if you have been determined to have leprosy by them. 
The Levite Pharisees, of course, were very rich and very powerful. Much like the contemporary church today. I won't mention anybody's name, Joel Osteen, but I digress. He's not the only one. They're all rich. Filthy rich. It's, it's, you can't defend it. Can't. God decrees it's forbidden for Levites to own land, and yet Levites attain land and become rich, forsaking the people for money. Who gets the people? Well, back to Genesis 14. Who made the Pharisees rich then? Who gets to say, I made you rich? Did God make them rich? What's your other choice? It's exactly what Abraham refused to allow Satan to say about him in Genesis 14. Acts 5, Genesis 14. What happens to a rich Pharisee? What happens to a rich Pharisee who happens to be the son of the high priest when he dies suddenly? What happens to him? What happened to him? I'm proposing that it happened. I'm proposing to you that Ananias is the son of Ananias. That's the high priest's son and he's dead. What happens when the rich high priest's son dies? Well, of course, he's wrapped in linen. He's carried away and he's buried. Just like who? Christ? Nicodemus? Joseph of Arimathea? Lazarus? Nicodemus and Joseph took the body of Christ, wrapped it, carried it, buried it. Something you have to think about. Another problem to resolve, lying to omniscient God. Who does that? Better question, who did it first? Or did he do it first? What's the alternative to lying to omniscient God, if you know he's omniscient? What would you do? That's omniscience. I can't lie to omniscience. That's crazy. So what do I do instead? I get somebody else to lie to omniscient God. Does Satan know the Holy Spirit's there? Does he know who the Holy Spirit is? Does he lie to the Holy Spirit? No. Ananias does. Oops. So to recap really fast, really fast, that's always a misnomer. A rich Pharisee who has the same name as the evil high priest sells land that he shouldn't own, probably to another rich Levite Pharisee. Uh, Peter even says so. Did you not even really keep it? Acts 5, 4. Take some of the money then, a certain part, hardly any, I believe. I think Supper Dave, if he exists, is right about that. And lays it at the feet of Peter. Lays it at the feet of Peter. Peter, who had been saying extraordinary things, he's convincing Jews. He's convincing Levites. He's convincing Pharisees that Jesus Christ is the most high God. Peter and John were therefore the targets of Ananias the high priest. Ananias the high priest had to order that these two men, whoever they are, he has a problem. What's his problem? He didn't have any idea who they are. What they look like. What they sound like. Hey, there's no TV. There's no photographs. There's no artist renderings. It's the same problem they had with Christ. Can't figure out who they are. Do you know how you captured Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid? Do you know how they captured them? 
they got a picture taken of themselves. Nobody knew who, what they looked like prior to that. That's how they got themselves killed, why they had to leave the country. If they'd never had that stupid picture taken, they would have never been caught in all likelihood. Because no one knew what they looked like. They might have seen them, but that's not good enough. People look like what? I'll help you. People. I get told all the time, there's somebody in Anchorage that looks just like me. Let's have, let's have a word of prayer for that poor man. My gosh, what a miserable burden that is. But they didn't know who the, who, they heard about these guys. They knew they're doing things. Many Jews believing in Christ. The imperative of the Pharisees had to end this testimony of the apostles, especially, particularly Peter, by any and all means. But first I have to identify who he is. I have to put him in a spot where I've got him. I've got to have a military force to get him. Ananias and Sapphira were obviously tasked with the arrest of Peter. Just like Judas and Gethsemane. Which would explain why Sapphira came three hours after the death of Ananias. See, why did she, where was she for three hours? Again, there's no technology. There's no transfer of information. The only way you can do it is by messenger. What does she have to do? She has to walk to Ananias the high priest. She has to walk back. She has to relay the information. She has to give the update. She's the messenger. She would have been informing the high priest Ananias of the impending seizure of Peter. As soon as Peter accepts that offering. Now, why is that? And Sapphira is charged with testing the spirit of God. Not lying, testing. What's the difference? Ananias lying, Sapphira testing. How did Sapphira test the Spirit of God? She was slain for testing the Spirit of the Lord. It must be wicked. Where else has been the testing of God been attempted? It starts at Exodus 14. I'll help you. 11 through 12. Exodus 17, 2 through 3. Numbers 20 through 3. Israel related, related, repeatedly. Gosh, I'm doomed. Hopefully that guy that looks like me can take over. Israel repeatedly accused God of being an evil murderer, a liar, of bringing them out of Egypt in order to slaughter them in the wilderness. That is called the testing of God. Sapphira is guilty of this. It was the predominant characteristic of the first generation of Israel, the mixed multitude in Israel, the Jews testing the goodness of God. The lie of Satan is fundamentally at its core an attack uh, uh, on the goodness of God, which was made manifest by the person of Jesus Christ. We saw the goodness of God shown to us, proved to us by Christ. Did I make it through this for Sherm? No, I didn't make it. Sorry, Sherm. Kind of really sorry about that. You got another week of your wife looking at you funny. Nice. If you solve how Sapphira tests God, that will lead you to what the lie of Ananias is. If you think the lie is about money, oops, boom, shakalakalaka. You got to start flipping that around a bit. Money isn't, isn't what Ananias was doing. Okay. Next week I'll clean that up, take care of slavery and freedom, and 